Hello, beautiful. I'm your host, Samantha Roberto, and I want to thank you for joining this conversation. We are a space of women empowering women, and each week we feature a new guest, dive into her vulnerable transitional story because we believe it's important to have these conversations so that we can all learn and grow from one another. So take a minute and go subscribe to get your weekly dose of inspiration. So today I'm talking to Justine Steele, who is a success coach for ambitious moms who want both to be the mom they always wanted, and to follow the dream that's on her heart. What I love most about Justine's story is that, as you're soon going to find out, life has not always been a bouquet of roses. Pretty much the opposite, to be honest. Justine grew up with childhood trauma that caused patterns of unworthiness and not being enough. This led to her starting to drink at the young age of nine, which eventually led her to alcoholism, drugs, abusive partners, and it gets even darker from there. Justine's not going to be sugarcoating it. She's had a rough past, but what's important is that she eventually got through it, got on the road to recovery, and is now blessed to be able to help others through difficult or challenging periods in their life. These days, she's passionate about living her best life so that she can be that example for her children, and she's found her niche helping other mothers who want to do the same. So it's a really interesting episode, and... Like I mentioned, it starts off pretty dark, but there are really deep, important lessons to be learned through those difficult times. So if you or someone you know has struggled with addictions, abusive relationships, or the feeling like you're not enough as a mother, this episode's going to be for you. So on that note, let's get to it. Would you be able to tell us a little bit about your story and gives a little bit of a background as to to get to where you are today yeah it's been a long journey to get here and like I don't think you had asked me when I was a teenager or a young girl what I was going to be when I grew up it was not somebody who helps other people get to their next level and live their Mm -hmm. best life it was pretty chaotic like really chaotic I um I always had this sense of from a really young age sense of lack of worth and for me, that really manifested in like in like attention seeking, being rebellious, trying to fit in, but just really driven by feeling like I didn't belong. I remember what stands out for me is being young in grade school. We lived in like the worst part of town because my parents wanted us to go to a French school, French immersion. We actually got to go to a school out of district, and that was in like one of the fancier kind of ends of town. So this is my perspective, anyways. It's everybody had more than me. They had all the things, mm. they had the good snacks in their lunches, you know, all these things that we think are important, right? Like being a kid, I was actually in French immersion too. And I remember like mm-hmm. at lunches comparing, what did your mom pack you? What did your mom pack you? And I never actually thought about that mm-hmm. comparison that we can develop at that yeah. young age. Yeah. And it's just so innocent, right? I think the world wasn't against me, but in my mind, it was like that comparison. I'm different. I'm from there. They're from here. You know, and so I just really this sense of like feeling like I needed to like prove myself in a lot of ways. And, you know, my parents, they were struggling, like parenting is hard. And uh, I was just kind of floundering and I don't think they really knew what to do. And they were dealing with their own things that were going on. And so I just, I just got caught up, you know, especially in like my neighborhood, right? Like just there was a lot of like crime, there was a lot of drinking, there was drugs. And I went down that path really early. So for me, how is was, how old is really early? Like well, this is drinking and drugs. Well, if we're talking like first time I was drunk, I was nine. Oh wow! Um, 
And I tell this story, like I have this memory of me, like if you want to know what I was like as someone who drank, it's like picture me nine years old, drunk, swinging around in a training bra around a tree in my front yard. And like we had these neighbors who like the kids weren't allowed to hang out with us because we were bad. Fair enough. This is the resentment right, that I had in my brain. It was like, well, F you, drunk. And I climbed up on the van and I peed on their van. I was a, like a runaway train. And it's like things like that would happen. And I'd be like, let's do it again. Because I just like loved that feeling of oblivion of not being attached to what it felt like inside of me. And I didn't know that then. I didn't know that's what I was doing. But you're like at nine years old, you're just mm -hmm. a child. You really don't know. Like it didn't start like continuously till I was about 12. Drinking pretty much every weekend and then like during the weeks and then eventually smoking weed. And then, you know, before high school, it was like, you know, ecstasy going to like raves and all that kind of stuff. Was this influence coming from friends? Was it family? Was it like, where did where did this introduction sort of come from? I grew up in like a drinking culture, right? It's okay. like family drinks, right? You go camping, you drink. You come home from work, you drink. Like you visit family and fr friends, you drink, right? There's always like a beer in the hand. It's like just the thing that accompanies everything you do. Mm -hmm. So for me, it just seemed like, especially as a mom now, you think like monkey see, monkey do, like, you know, I see my kids modeling like the things that I do. And I'm like, thank God I don't drink. I don't smoke any of those things. Right. It's like when I was a little girl, I just wanted to be like them. I think it was just like the next thing. And then I realized when I drank, it made me feel like I belonged. Going through high school, obviously it was down the rebellious route into the raves and the parties and everything else. What happened next? So before I even got to high school, I really struggled getting assignments in, like finishing my schoolwork. I know like my teachers were really like, you know, help me get through mm -hmm. in a sense, right? So, but I wasn't showing up. It's like I'd come halfway through the day. And so when I got to high school, it was like by the time I was there, I was in a relationship with someone who was a little bit older, who was abusive. You know, the relationship that I was in, we were just, yeah, it was chaos. We were into all kinds of things that come along with drugs and drinking and going down this path and being on this like from such a young age because to see the woman where you are now and what you're doing now that's mm -hmm. like a it's a it's a night and day difference what was yeah. the ca the catalyst moment for you that sort of got you to realize okay like I need to change things things need to to shift there was a couple moments where like I knew I was like you're gonna die but I think it was like all of the things that led up from there that I had experienced because I didn't so I didn't get sober until I was 23. Okay. So it's like I spent, you know, drinking. It was like from 12 till 23, right? A decade plus. But there's a few things that really stand out to me that now looking back were like, so that boyfriend that I was talking about, he, he ended up, he was murdered. And <sighs> yeah, yeah, it was just drop a bomb there. It's, you know what, it was, um, that was huge for me because it's really confusing, I think, for people who maybe haven't been in this situation, but he was abusive, okay? But, like, we really loved each other, and I know mm -hmm. that seems really messed up, and not that what he did was okay ever or that I should have stayed or any of those things, but it was, like, my mind was so messed up around it because he was dead, and my life is better because he was dead. And there was like just all this like guilt around that I got to live a better life because he mm. was gone. So when you say abusive, was it physical, emotional, verbal, like all, all of the above? Yeah, it was all of it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was all of it. Yeah. And you were and you were still uh, with him. He was still in your life when he had passed away. 
to be honest, there's like a full circle that comes with this story. Maybe we would get to later, but we were supposed to move together to Dallas. I wasn't going to tell anyone. I was going to leave. This is like during the period of like intermittent homelessness. And, and we were in Windsor, Ontario at the time. About two weeks before we left, we got into a really big fight after a bar one night. He beat me up really, really badly. It was like that time I was like, we're so done. We're so done. Ended the relationship. I saw him once before he left. He left two weeks later. And then while he was in Dallas, we continued to talk. And he was trying to convince me. And this is like the cycle of like abuse. It's like, I love you so much. I miss you. I can't live without you. And he was like slowly trying to convince me to come down there. I've got a place for you. We'll get a job for you. Like all of this stuff. And so my mind starts like warming up to it. Then he called me one day and he said, someone's coming after me. I did something really bad. Somebody's coming after me. I need to come back. But I'm only going to come back if we'll be together again. And I was so mad. I had started seeing somebody else. A real piece of work as well. But anyway, that's where I was in my life. But um, and I so I was all like puffed up and, you know, you did this to me and you did this to me and spent like, you know, a good 10 minutes giving him like everything I thought about him and just like releasing all of my anger mm-hmm. and hanging up the phone and he kept calling back and calling back and I kept hanging up the phone. And so it was two days after that that his sister came to my house and told me he had been shot and killed wow. in the back of the I'm so sorry. First of all, I can't even imagine at 16 years old going through everything that you've gone through. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was definitely one of like the hardest like times of my life. And that's what I meant by like the guilt. It's like he was gone. What if I had have said yes, but then I would be in this abusive relationship again, because that's how the cycle goes. It was like I was so addicted to that cycle of of I love you, I hate you, I love you, I hate you, and just not feeling good enough to deserve anything else. How did you move forward from going through that experience, that intense experience? So, I mean, I'd like to say that that was my wake-up call, but it wasn't. It was like just like a deeper dive into what I was already doing immediately back into an abusive relationship, ignoring all of the signs, all of the warning signs. If there's anyone out there listening who has experienced abuse or who thinks that they might be with someone who's abusive, I remember getting a handout, signs of an abusive partner. And I remember looking at it and being like, yep, 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 of the new guy, right? Yep, he has all these things. These are all the red flags. And I thought to myself, I'm 16. What are the odds? (laughs) Like, Mm. what are the odds that this would happen twice? I'm only 16. At the time, my worth was in a really deep hole somehow made it through college. I like I got a GED, took the prerequisites I needed. I went to a program at a college back home. I ended up in a program that ended up being like really aligned with what I like, I guess. And so I did really, really well, even though I would go on a bender and not show up. And then I'd like study really, really hard and like write a test and then like crash and burn. So that allowed me to get like a regular job. I was working at a dental office. And so aside from like the nightlife of like working till four in the morning and sleeping during the day. People around you who were around your life at this point, like did they realize or was it just were you masking it? I'd say if you go back to like my hometown and like talk about me, like people will be like, she's a legend when you walk in. (laughs) I mean, and it is because there's so many funny stories, but also like on the outside funny, but on the inside, it's like a young girl who's really struggling and is really dying right in front of everyone's eyes, right? Mm Mm-hmm. But it's so funny and fun. But I mean, there were people that were concerned. And I really wanted, I think deep down, like there was always a sense of wanting more and feeling like I was meant for more, but also feeling like somehow I had done something really bad in a past life. And like this life was my punishment. Mm. I don't know. Like, 
if that makes sense. But I just, I just always felt like there was more, but I didn't deserve it. Mm, it was a worthiness thing as if, you know what, like you just, you, you didn't deserve it. You yeah. weren't the person who deserved what you really wanted deep down. That's my like purpose in this life is like worth. Like I think mm. everything that I'm ever working on it always, when it comes back down to it, it always stems from like the not enough. If I wasn't drinking, I felt like I was going to die. Mm-hmm. And so um, I remember waking up one day and just like looking at myself in the mirror and saying that out loud to myself, you are going to die. Wow. And that voice, like that inner voice that you would look in the mirror and say, that's your intuition, looking up and speaking mm-hmm. the truth. If you don't change, this is what's going to happen. There was a series of things that led me to a meeting. And I'd been to meetings before. I'd been to rehab twice. This time it was different. It was like I had lots of support in recovery communities. Like that was the lifesaver for me, being supported by other people who understood what I was going through and had experienced similar things to me. That was my first experience with like me having a chance to be of service too, because all of a sudden, like now I had a little bit of sobriety under my belt and there were people that were coming in who didn't. And now all of a sudden I knew how to help them. This makes me feel really good. This fills that hole that I was always trying to like fill with other things. Yeah. And I just, that's when I like really felt lit up and like important, like I belong. So did this kind of start the snowball effect towards your recovery and where you are like once that one meeting happened did you find like it was just steps on the right direction since then oh yeah that I mean aside from the meetings before that I've been to this time I think I think the important thing to like highlight there would be like the shift in perspective right but I think the difference was that it wasn't about I can't drink anymore it was I want to live so that's when I dove into all personal development everything and service so what do you find like remembering the early days of that personal development, what were your go-to practices back then that really helped get you onto the path that you're on now? It was being immersed in a community of people who understand what I'm going through um, and who have been where I've been. And so, and I know we could relate that to business a lot too, right? It's like learning in business. It's such a powerful thing to be surrounded by women who have a common goal and a common direction have been where you've been. Um, But in terms of that, that was so powerful to me, just having that community especially when, you know, one of my core things is feeling like I didn't belong and all of a sudden I did. And then it was just to keep going. That was one of my things. My sponsor at that time, she was like, you just have to stay connected. Just don't let go. Just keep going. There were times where I'd literally like pushed my dresser in front of my bedroom door, hid under the covers because I was just so scared of drinking. You know, the first few months of sleeping, I'd shoot up out of bed gasping for air every few minutes. It's like I never slept. Heart would be racing. My heart would be racing. I'd go back to sleep and then it'd do it again and again and again for like that first month and a half after. It made it really clear to me why it was so important and what was really going on and what I was really medicating because I just had all of those years of trauma. To be honest with you, I chose a lot of it. There's so many people out there who have like had way worse circumstances than me and chose differently than I chose. And then um, getting into motherhood and um, thinking I wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. And this is something that I hear so frequently with moms. I thought like my dream was to have a family and stay at home and raise them. And then and then like you have that. Um, I thought I wanted that and then I had it and I realized I do not want to be a stay-at-home mom. Like, but, but so, and that was me too. It's like, I love my family so much, but I also just feel this huge hug on my heart to be doing more. And not just more like this isn't enough. It's like, and this too, this is important too. I have this purpose to fill outside of motherhood. And like, for me, it's about like really sharing that experience, strength and hope that I have for my journey 
so that people don't have to go through what I went through. Or that if they do go through what I went through, they have someone that they can relate to. But everything I go through now is right after I'm, I have someone sitting in front of me who's now I can help because I just went through it. I don't know how many times I thought I can help you because I can help you because I can help you because. And I wouldn't have that if I didn't go through all of these things. And so, but one of the, the full social thing that I wanted to talk about was I posted this really vulnerable video summer last year, who I am and why that matters to you. And it was actually through a course I had done with Amber Valdez. And that was like our last homework assignment. And so I posted it and it was really vulnerable. And, and, and so a woman reached out to me. She was my ex who passed away. It was his sister. Oh, wow. And she said, I've been following you for a long time. I love like what you're doing. I would really love to like talk to you. Can you make time? And so I thought she wanted to talk about my ex and that experience. Earlier in the year, I had had, I was doing all this spiritual work. Um, all this healing work, I had had some things coming up in my parenting that I really wanted anger, that I really wanted to resolve. And I knew it was related to like the traumas I had experienced in my past. And I saw a couple healers, psychics and things like that. And so my ex kept coming up and there was like all this, all these messages he had. So one of the messages, I just read this a few months ago, actually, I hadn't realized it at the time, but it was like one of the messages he had for me, it's time to let your light shine now. And so I was like, okay. And so I'm working on this thing. And then a couple months later, this program comes up. It's called Let Your Light Shine Live. So I do this, this Let Your Light Shine Live. And it's like five weeks of just digging deep into your story and learning how to like be vulnerable and share on video. But really, she's asking you to talk about your deepest, darkest things live in this like private community and everyone sharing everything. So all of these things came up and I just really healed them for the first time. Really talking about hard things is how I heal. And so and not just to other people, like I have to talk to someone who I feel like vulnerable in front of and naked in front of. Then the last assignment was who I am and why this matters to you. And so then the sister gets in touch with me. She reaches out and she wants to have a conversation. We have this conversation. We start the conversation. And first she had conversations about his death, um, what I knew about it. Um, you know, we had that conversation and then she goes into but what I really wanted to talk to you about was, and she starts telling me these things that she's struggling with. Mm. And these like, these things and I'm like, oh my God, he was like all this time I'm thinking he's coming, he's lifting me up because here I am like ready to heal and I have this big mission. Mm -hmm. And yet, and it leads me through this course and it leads me through this experience and it reaches her, his sister mm -hmm. who I haven't talked to in I mean, this was, he died in 2001, right? Wow. So this is like, you know, almost 20 years ago. And all of a sudden she's reaching out to me for help because I put out this video that I wouldn't have if I hadn't have had that experience. But I just had this like enlightening moment where I was like, everything's just happening through me. Like everything's just happening through me. And I like just saw this like golden thread that tethered all my experiences together. One thing I really want to highlight with everything within your story is the personal responsibility. Because you did, you know, even through this, like some of the darkest moments, you're like, I chose that. It's like really taking personal responsibility for extremely difficult situations and just saying like, this was the way it happened and I chose that, but from an empowered place. Because I think a lot of people, when stuff can happen, happen, they think it's happening to them. It's like, well, that happened to, and it's the victim, the victim stance, you know. And it, it's it's when you take that responsibility, and you step into being like, this was all because of my choices, as hard as it might be to admit, but that's okay. It led me to this beautiful place now. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think that can be like, even in my life now, it's like being a mom, to be honest, I was unhappy, right? Mm -hmm. With what, um, you know, in those earlier years of motherhood, loving my family, but feeling really lost and unhappy. Again, it would have been easy for me to choose not to do what felt aligned for me, right? Mm -hmm. But like really choosing to say like, I'm unhappy because I'm not showing up for me. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times it's easy to, to point fingers, you know, at someone else or just or just accept this is just the stage of life I'm in. I'm just going to put my dreams up on the shelf. And I'm just going to, you know, because we have this like belief that like to have this, we can't have this. If you, mm. you want to have the happy family and the connected experience with your family and children, then you can't have this. You can't have the career or the job or the hobby or business or whatever it is that you, you can have both. Yeah. You know, like you don't have to, you don't have to choose. It's not one or another. Like that's an imaginary thing. Definitely an internal conflict between like really honoring like your individuality and what you feel called to do outside of motherhood and then really just wanting to be there and, and do the best you can. And I feel really, my experience growing up, I feel really passionate about, I mean, every mom probably feels this way, but I just don't want my kids to go through what I went through, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, how can I show up so my kids have a, like a really strong sense of self who and can choose from this way. And part of me is like, well, I have to model that. Yeah. And how do I model that? By being myself and following what's true to me. Like, I feel like that's, yeah, my mission is like, I want to inspire women, but also like, I want to inspire my kids. I don't want my daughter to grow up and put her dreams on a shelf. Mm -hmm. I don't want my son to turn his back on what feels really important to him because it appeases somebody else. And so how do I model that? By doing it. Are there common patterns within the women that you work with? Definitely. So my passion lies in like just living my truth really fiercely and openly so that I can inspire others to do the same. Like that's my core of like why Mm. I do what I do at this stage of my life. It's through motherhood because that's the stage of life that I'm in. And it's also what I've realized. There's just, yeah, these recurring common challenges that we have when we're trying to do this. And so one of the main things and what like people usually come to me for, it's like, they just can't figure out how to balance it. And I, mm-hmm. I don't like to even use the word balance. I use the word flow or rhythm. Some people use harmony, whatever. It's like, how do you make the space for it to even be thinking? Because a lot of times they come, it's like, I'm overwhelmed. I'm so spread thin. I can't even imagine doing anything else. I can't even get to the grocery store, like, mm-hmm. you know, kind of thing. And so initially that's a common challenge is just creating the space. Mm -hmm. in your daily life to be able to open your mind to be doing something else. Mm -hmm. What a lot of people don't understand is that they are sacrificing that because they're there, but they're constantly distracting. How can we make it so that the time that you are spending with your family is really connected and intentional? What do you want that to look like? And so really getting a sense of like, what's the bigger vision for your family? Mm -hmm. And, you know, for yourself, for your family, what do you want this to look like? Um, and just getting really aligned with that and making sure that like what you have in your calendar reflects that and then creating these pockets of space. And so once the space is like opened up, what comes up is like a lot of times you're just overwhelmed. Well, there's so much to do. I don't even know where to start. Now I finally have the space and it's just like those supporting around like how to be like intentional and productive with your time. So having a really clear plan and strategy. What would be something else that you would we recommend? Productivity and habit. Like the, I spend a lot of time focusing on generating like more productivity, like establishing really intentional habits and routines. And that's in family life and in business. So how do you do it in family life? Like coming from like even being a mother, like a, a tip or a hack with productivity within like managing the house and the kids and the everything else. 
Okay. Yeah. So that's a really good question. I have so many. Okay. So I really like, like people to understand first of all, how habits created. So this is something I teach really frequently. People just think like, Oh, I want a new routine or I want my kids to do this, but they're not really understanding how a habit is, how the brain creates a habit from a behavior. And so it's like really understanding the cycle of a habit, which is like cue, craving, response, reward. Actually, there's a book called Atomic Habits, which, um, and this is an example he uses in the book. So an example of a cue would be your phone notification goes off. That's a cue. The um, craving is you want to know the contents of the message. The response is you check the message. The reward is that now you know what the message said. <laughs> so really understanding how you can be intentional about implementing these things into your daily life. And so like with our kids, we have like these routine cards that we put on the wall. Wake up, make your bed. So there's like a picture of a bed. There's get dressed, breakfast, dishes to the sink. All of these things that like a mom's like, what? My kid can do that? And so the full routine and it's on the wall. And the kids get really excited about it because they help me put it up. And they run over it whenever they don't know what to do next. Oh, look at the wall. And they're like, so they have their cue now. So now they've like just created these habits because they first start by like walking over the wall, seeing what's there, going through the next sequence. And because we keep it really consistent, like consistency is key and send them back to the wall when they don't know what to do. Now they just do it. Whereas like my son woke up this morning. He like put his clothes on all by himself for the first time in his room. Usually he like comes downstairs, wakes us up and it's like this whole thing on the couch. I need help. No, you don't. So he did the full routine this morning all on his own. So that alone, yeah. like if you can start implementing that and you have multiple kids and they can sort of mm -hmm. take that on little by little, that creates a lot of yeah. space. That's a pretty good habit to have. Yeah. And it's really rewarding for them too. So you can actually like have um I use a habit tracker so like kids can actually like check off when they finish something because it gives that little release of dopamine we haven't done this yet because it's new but it will be where when they get x amount of stars then they get to pick the friday night movie or they get to decide do we go to the park or do we go to the pool or whatever that might be because that's that reward piece of the habit cycle right and so sometimes like a habit doesn't have an immediate reward mm -hmm. like so I'll use this of like working out right like you go to the gym once you didn't lose the weight that you want to lose and you don't have the like ass you want to have right it's like <laughs> you have to like keep going so maybe it's a check on the list and then at the end of the week it's I have x amount of checks so that means I'm going to put $50 towards savings account for a trip or something like that right like mm -hmm. right so how do you increase the the reward but I think what we've done in our house find little areas so that like you know with our laundry with the way we do our dishes and make our bed and all that stuff like it's all really intentional mm -hmm. but it frees up it sounds really regimented but it frees up so much space in the beginning it's probably just like you have to spend a little bit more time locking it down making it the habit getting it in there but then once you do that's a lot of like less chaos at seven in the morning when you're getting everyone ready to go to school and you want to go to work. Absolutely. It can be like, you know, some days it's a real struggle. I think every parent can like relate to that, like trying to get out of the house, like a fight or flight response, really understanding behavior change and how you can use that. So that in mindset. Okay. So into mindset, what is one of the mindset hacks that you can give to a mother who is listening. So definitely like questioning your beliefs that you have that come up around. I mean, anything really, I think that's for anyone, anything really, but really like kind of capturing what they are, trying to understand them and getting curious about them has been like super powerful for me. What are common ones you see within yeah. mothers that you work with? Is there like some that you, you sort of patterns you see? Yeah, I'm a bad mom. Definitely. <laughs> 
it's like usually like I'm a bad mom, um, I'm not enough. And this isn't specifically towards motherhood. It could always be, you know, between like your business as well. It's like, I can't, other people can, it's easier for other people, those sorts of things. Really understanding like how to work through those. And that's like what I teach in, in my program as well. It's like when we're going after what it, what it is outside of motherhood, it's like all these things come up, right? It's like we have these beliefs that we all of a sudden we've created the space and now we've figured out how we can be productive Mm-hmm. in our time and really intentional with our time. And, but now we have all these stories that come up that we've created throughout our whole lives. And so it's like, how can we really get a handle and balance, you know, really like, I guess, cheesy way of explaining it is three-legged stool, right? It's like, you need all of them to like stand up. If you have the strategy, but you don't have the mindset, you don't have the time <laughs> to do anything else. But like, And so I often find it's like, even when someone's working on strategy, I had a client last week who really wanted to create a solid strategy for her launch but like she had all this mindset stuff of people are going to judge me can't do this and that was really holding her back mm-hmm. so it's like okay let's create the strategy but let's focus on the stories that are coming up around it right mm-hmm. because if you're just like gunning it with this with the strategy but you have all these stories and beliefs that are coming up whether in parenting or in business right it's just you almost just feel like on the hamster wheel Yeah, you'll be so held back and you won't even realize. You'll just go, 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 but things won't be working out while there's these underlying things Mm -hmm. that are going on. To wrap this up, Byrne, to kind of bring this to a full circle, and it's so beautiful to see that you've gone through the turbulent past that you've gone through, but you've come through it and everything that you learned and that now you're using to kind of like help other people go through other things in their life. What's one thing you would recommend if there's somebody who is listening to this right now who has someone in their life who is struggling with addictions or alcohol or drugs or just struggling in general, uh, something that you could say that they could do to support that person? That's a good question. So yeah, I think there's a lot of different angles that could come from, but I think in general, it's really up to the person who's struggling to to want help. You're not going to convince someone to get help. Generally, I mean, I guess there's interventions and those sort of false bottoms, but there's a fine line also between like enabling and, you know, so it de- that's why I mean, like it depends on the situation, but I think if it's not an, an enabling type situation and you're just, it's open and you can be a support, just being willing to listen, mm. um, always getting permission to offer support or advice for me, in my experience, I wasn't going to get help because someone mm-hmm. told me to, but when someone told me to get help, it was like, you should also get help, you know, um, if it's a healthy ish situation, just being an ear, being a support, knowing that they can come to you. Sometimes it is setting a boundary and saying, this isn't okay. Like, I know that you're struggling and I am here for you and I want to be here and I want to support you, but I'm setting this boundary because I'm not willing to participate. It can be really powerful because, because sometimes by like just it being okay, it just enables people to keep doing it. If you want support, I'm here, but this is the boundary that I'm setting, whatever that might be. So I think the biggest thing is set your own boundaries of what you're willing to accept in your life and Mm. set loving boundaries. All right, there you have it. What did you think? Justine's contact info is going to be in the show notes. So if you want to reach out, go find it there and you can contact her 
through her website or through Instagram. And, you know, we want to know, did you find that anything in this episode resonated with you? Were there any parts where you felt like you could just really relate, whether it was with you or a family member or a friend with Justine's story? Screenshot and let us know your takeaways in the stories. Tag us both. We really do love to hear your feedback and, and hear what you think. And before you go, if you haven't already, remember to subscribe because next week we're going to be sharing another woman's inspiring story and you're not going to want to miss it. So until then, keep being you, be beautiful.